0: Welcome to What We Call Love, a podcast series empowered by Bumble and The Twenties Club. I'm Madeline Walker and today we're talking about labels. For all intents and purposes, labels are a good thing. They help us move through the world with a little more ease. They tell us what kind of food we're about to eat, which if you're intolerant to gluten like I am, is pretty important. They tell us when a surface is hot, when a floor is slippery, when a substance is flammable. Labels tell us whether an application has been approved or denied, whether we're about to fill our car with petrol or diesel, and how to separate our trash from our recycling. Labels are also just another word for signs, and signs are super important. They tell us which bus to take to get home safely, which airport terminal to check in at, which turn-off to take, when to cross the road. I mean, in a lot of ways, signs keep us safe. But when it comes to our identity, how we choose to present ourselves and who we choose to love, labels and signs can complicate things. For a lot of people, labels restrict them, forcing them to identify in a way that just doesn't fit. As someone who is cisgender and straight, I recognise that it's a privilege that I seldom have to explain my identity to others. It's a privilege that the way I choose to dress, the people I choose to love, the kinds of relationships I choose to have and the pronouns I choose to use are still the default for most of society. But with privilege comes responsibility, and we'd be remiss to create a podcast about love in this country and fail to include our friends, Fano, and colleagues in the wider rainbow community. New Zealand has made good progress in moving beyond binary definitions of gender and sexuality, making space for those who identify as genderqueer or non-binary, for those who identify as sexually fluid, pansexual or anything else. But the coming out conversation remains a milestone for LGBTQ individuals. And as allies, we have a responsibility to create safe environments for people to feel they can live and love as authentically as possible. To love themselves and others beyond a label. Today, I'm honoured to be sharing with you my conversation with H, a human rights activist and writer, the co-chair of Outline and a human rights researcher at the Intersex Trust of Aotearoa New Zealand. H is non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. Now, there's still a lot of work to do beyond this episode. We can't assume that just because we are seeing greater representation of diverse genders and sexualities that the revolution is finished. Guys, it's not. Changing representation in media and pop culture and... Yes, podcasts is not the goal. It is simply the vehicle for real change in the community at large. So on that note, here's H&I for what we call love.
1: One of my earliest memories of feeling not gender policed by other people, but my own self-realization of that there were different pathways in the world that were kind of set in stone, was I remember I was at this preschool end-of-year Santa situation where Santa came and gave out presents to everyone. And the present I got was one of the the parents had to send the present in advance and I got one of the dud presents, one of the generic leftover presents because whatever, my parents weren't down with that. And I got this sort of toy truck and little car set And I remember being really, really gutted, even though I really love playing with trucks and cars. But I knew that I wasn't supposed to like it. And I knew that I was supposed to be really, really sad. And I knew that I was supposed to be gutted. And so I I always look back on that moment because I think that was one of my first realizations of expectations around behaviour that were in some way constrained or limited by my gender. And how old were you? I probably would have been about four, three and a half, four years old. It's fascinating, right, how young? Absolutely, and that matches the science that that says around that three and a half, four years old age, that kid's... Not necessarily that they're aware of their own gender, but they're aware of the expectations that are on them and how they should be performing. So, you know, that stuff that comes up in in kindy about, oh, girls do this, boys do that, or... Right, uh, boys
0: play in the mud and girls play with Barbies. Yeah,
1: pink for girls. Yeah, right. What's a boy colour? What's a girl colour? Which crayons are you allowed to play with? So by about that three and a half, four years' age kids are starting to understand these things that are being kind of put on them
0: and for you specifically when would you say that your journey around your true identity first began and do you remember any of the sort of early challenges or challenging kind of questions and conversations that you faced early on in your journey towards your true identity Yeah, so a lot of of the times, when I'm
1: thinking about what it's like to be a non-binary person living in the world, and kind of coming out and asking people to to start honouring that and how they interact with me, whether that be the language that they use around me, the names they use around me. For me, that journey kind of began outwardly in my early 20s. But when I think back in in high school, I went to a single-sex school. So in some ways, gender wasn't incredibly present even though you'd think it would be even more present in a single sex school you know we didn't have gendered bathrooms we just had the bathrooms we didn't have a girl's uniform and a boy's uniform for sports or for wearing in school we just had the uniform so some of my early experiences of starting to express myself in the world were really once I sort of Finished school, And all of a sudden, I was graduating into this kind of really binary world. I, you know, the part-time jobs I had were really... Uh, again, we had gendered bathrooms in the workplaces. I was going through university and then out into the, you know, full-time workforce. And then I started to realise that I kind of didn't really fit in these norms that were starting to be expected of me as this socially responsible, constructive member of society, and I, I needed to create a space I needed to create space for myself because the world didn't have space for me. So yeah, that journey kind of began outwardly in my early twenties.
0: It's funny, it's become this common theme on the podcast so far of how pivotal that moment is when we leave school. And it's almost like a fresh page for a lot of us in terms of we get to re-choose how we want to show up in the world. Because I think our our school years are very much influenced by the family environment we have, the school environment we have. I also went to a single-sex school, so very sheltered. And I remember going to university was that, okay? take two. I can try again. I can put on, you know, a new... If I want to, I can put on a new identity and show up in the world in a different way that maybe feels a bit more aligned. And it feels like this really common theme. Yeah, we can create our
1: own futures,
0: hey? Yeah.
1: Imagine if we gave young people the autonomy to do that in so many more ways at such a younger age.
0: What would that look like in a school capacity, do you think? Do you think that's like getting rid of things like uniforms? Like what kind of practical things? I think
1: it's just trusting that young people can be the experts on their own lives. Do you know, we're often asking young people to meet certain markers and certain expectations, whether that's around their grades or their behaviour or learning to be nice to people you know like there are so many social contracts that we start to learn about in high school that are really good like it's good to contribute to society but so often we police young people as like well they're not really fully developed yet how would they really know right I often see it with um sort of young activists in high school that might be fighting for some really positive change say some really good rubbish bins in that school that divide things by plastic wrap and glass and metal and waste you know and then they're seen as these troublemakers by the board of trustees and you know oh well wait until they get into the real world and see how much recycling actually costs. You know all of these things these are young people who are des- who are wanting to design their future Amen. and advocating for that so I, I reckon if we can create schools and think about ways yeah. where we can give more autonomy to young people because they are the experts on their lives, they are the experts on their future and it's, it's the same when it comes to things like gender and desire and being our true selves in the world. You know if someone shares with who they are it's just our job to believe them
0: amen that's super powerful so if we in terms of your journey when it first began and i guess your early 20s when you're starting to kind of unpack what gender w- means to you and what role it might play in your life you and i have had a conversation separately about the impact of things like colonization in mm. terms of how we think about gender mm. when did how were you educated around Colonization and specifically the fact that gender is perhaps a byproduct of that.
1: Yeah, totally. That was a really cool convo we had, and I hope I can do it justice so by good. replicating it on the pod here today. Um so feel free to prod me and ask me <laughs> questions to get to get the convo going. So in my early 20s, I started volunteering with an awesome charity in the Rainbow community called Rainbow Youth. And I remember learning this story of the great love story of Titanekai and Henimoa, how that story had been told in one way to us you know as we were kind of growing up in the rainbow community and we're hearing about you know the, that, that no barriers would stop this great love whether it be a sort of a romeo and juliet-esque you know parents didn't approve but the true love would would triumph over over all there was a huge part of that love story that was left out and that was um, Titanakai's um great love for his friend piki or his boy, his dear friend and how that For him to have, you know, all of his love needs met, he needed his great love and his great takatapoi all together. And that once they were all joined up and could form a whānau unit, that was when all of the true love was kind of flowing. That
0: would be fulfillment for him.
1: Totally. That he had all of these parts of his his love and his whānau around him. And I remember the the conversations that came up at at Rainbow Youth when we were learning about this great love story was how colonisation had sanitised this great Māori love. Love story into something that would fit within a Christian, far no traditional Western structure rather than... The nuclear
0: know, family.
1: Absolutely, rather than what love actually looked like here in Aotearoa before the freaking white man came on his ship and came with his Bible and started imposing laws about who could love each other. And so that kind of lifted the veil and, and learning through the, the awesome work and research that Dr Elizabeth Kirikiri has done around reclaiming those stories and reclaiming stories about love and desire and sexuality in pre-colonial New Zealand really like opened my eyes that actually things like banning men from having consensual liaisons with each other. You know, that law that was brought from the UK to New Zealand, and it was only in the 1980s that we repealed that. You know, that was something that was brought to New Zealand, not allowing queers to be able to get it on with each other. And that they could be carted off in a police van and locked up. You know, that's not from here. Wow. In Aotearoa, Love is love, you know, um, and if we think about the role that takatāpui, or those, like, sacred knowledge holders, had in communities pre-colonisation, that was a beautiful and sacred role of holding knowledge and passing that down to the next generation, because they may not be procreating like some of the stradies might be, but that sacredness of un- not only allowing queerness to run and roam free, but was actually sacred and respected and then we come to what like a colonial narrative of love and sex and desire and gender it was in these rigid puritanical boxes and so as a country and as a nation, as we start to kind of move beyond and past and, and look to a, a decolonised future, we need to look at our attitudes to sex and love and relationships. And if we're going to honour this land that we're living on, we need, to, we need to get away from the rubbish that Captain Cook brought here and his kind of puritanical um, understanding of these things. Hey.
0: And I think what's, what's crucial to that, though, is first the education, though, because I think everything you've just said will be news to most people listening to this podcast, it was news to me when you told me. And, I mean... We don't learn in school. We, we learn... We, I don't know about you, but growing up, I had this narrative in social
1: studies. They're like, the white man came to Aotearoa and formed an equal agreement with Maori and then they got on and prospered. That's not what happened.
0: And that's why I think these new conversations are coming up around the treaty because there's this disconnect, right, between what we were taught in terms of the equality of the agreements in that and what the actual reality have been for Māori people.
1: Absolutely. And not not only do we look at, like, honouring Te tiriti, but also, like, decolonisation needs to come with that because, you know, the treaty, the treaty Tiriti and the treaty are two different things. And so if we're going to do right by our Indigenous peoples, we at least need to be honouring um, As and, the foundation, right? Absolutely. And then be looking at all of the other rubbish that came with that, all of the colonial ideas around what success is, what does land ownership look like? What does looking after this nation look like? What are wow. our relationships with our younger people, with our older people?
0: All of those attitudes that were brought here are often not serving us hey? yeah and so they need to be unpacked and unpicked.
1: And so we're living on this land. so why not why not use what has what worked on this land and was working perfectly
0: fine? So, okay, before we kind of get into this discussion around non-binary, and we're going to speak about it as well, including the trans sort of narrative, in my sort of um, understanding, when I've looked into this topic, the term gender dysphoria is often referenced. And I guess my first question is, is it the case that everyone who ultimately arrives at identifying as either trans or non-binary has experienced gender dysphoria at some point in their life. And for those who are maybe unfamiliar with the term, could you explain what gender dysphoria is?
1: Now, again, this is another pet passion topic of mine. So gender dysphoria... There's a few different ways to explain this idea. So I'll give you a couple of different perspectives and then listeners can kind of go where they want with it. So in its simplest form, it's a pathologized medical term to ex- and it's a medical diagnosis um, that um, psychologists and uh, practitioners will use to support someone on their transition journey to prescribe them all the bits and pieces they need but in its simplest form describes um, a disconnect and and an intense discomfort with say the physicality of our bodies in contrast with say how we identify our gender identity so that kind of disconnect between maybe what we're born with and what our hopes and dreams and aspirations for our body might look like some trans and non binary people experience this in quite high degrees, and the research shows us that having access to good and appropriate gender affirming healthcare reduces this gender dysphoria by up to like 95%. So it's one of the most effective. Uh, pathways to healthcare um, that we can offer our trans and non-binary whānau. So that might be things like accessing hormone therapy, it may be accessing surgical interventions, or it may be just accessing social things like asking the people around them to affirm their gender through using pronouns that reflect who they are, like he, she, they, or using a name that feels more comfortable to them. Um, Some trans and non-binary people don't feel that physical disconnect or discomfort with their physicality. Um, and some people choose to live in the world maybe taking hormones, maybe having surgeries but they don't necessarily need to feel that intense discomfort and I think that 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 pathologizing language of needing a diagnosis of extreme mental distress to be able to affirm our gender in a medical fashion. Again, there's this very Western construct of fitting things that don't quite match a certain box of how this kind of puritanical society design, that if you don't fit that, there must be something wrong with you. And and more modern times, we might be able to cope with that, but we need to put a label and a diagnosis on that.
0: There are some cisgender or straight people who still inaccurately conflate gender with sexuality, I remember specifically when Caitlyn Jenner transitioned in 2015, the media were really quick to speculate what this meant for her sexuality. Mm. So this became, was she now identifying as a lesbian? And it sparked a really interesting dialogue, I think, about the lack of understanding around gender and sexuality. So I wonder if you could speak to that for a little bit. Bumble is a dating app that is dedicated to creating an inclusive environment for its community of over 100 million users. In service of this mission, Bumble has partnered with several LGBTQIA advocacy organisations to help create a space where people from across the gender spectrum feel safe and seen. With guidance from the community, Bumble has created an extensive list of gender options for both new and existing users to choose from. When setting up their profile, users can select a binary choice or tap more options to expand the list, and your choice can be updated at any time. Users can also choose if they'd like to show their gender identity to potential matches, which appears alongside profile badges. On Bumble, how you identify is up to you. Download Bumble today and make the first move. One app, three modes, one mission.
1: Often, when I'm running workshops where we're talking about rainbow communities, I often say, So, who do we think? What kind of names and words and labels fit under this beautiful big rainbow umbrella? And people start to say the words like gay, lesbian, bisexual, and then we you know, words around sexuality, and then we start to hear words around gender identity, words like trans, uh, transgender, non-binary, and then we hear words around sex characteristics, like intersex. Now, these are all very, very different life journeys and very different identities, but as a whānau, we we kind of stick together because the hate, oppression, and shit that gets thrown at us all comes from a similar place so I'm often thinking you know if someone's a racist they're possibly also a sexist if someone's homophobic they're probably also transphobic so although our identities are really different under this rainbow umbrella we stick together and advocate for and with each other because our oppressions are really similar so they are all very separate identities yeah but we've got each other's back. So that's why they often get seen close together. So when we're having celebrations like Pride or we're having other things like that on the news, all our identities kind of get squished and layered over the top of each other and we don't get the space to express our individuality under that rainbow.
0: I think this is a good space for us to explain the acronym TERF and speak to how problematic that term is. So... After the Me Too movement happened, a lot of people came out to self-identify as feminists. But there was still a portion of people, those people, who were being exclusionary of the trans community. Could you explain what TURF stands for? At a time where things were evolving and changing,
1: there was a group of people who fundamentally you know, identified as feminists and believed in the equality of the sexes, um, but were uncomfortable around trans people and didn't want to include trans people in their liberation. Um, so they self-identified this very nice little, neat, descriptive, not nice term, but a, a very descriptive term. Some people with similar ideology are saying, oh, that's a slur, don't use that against us. Yes. So I will respect that and not use that word. I'll just call them what they are, which yeah. are um, anti-trans extremists. Yeah, right. Like if you don't include the most marginalised in your revolution, that's not a revolution not a re- I want to be part of.
0: With the rainbow community expanding and people finding more freedom in terms of how they identify, how can we broach this conversation of gender and sexuality in a sensitive way? Whether that whether that's for ourselves, friends, whānau, colleagues, or just someone we've recently met. Right,
1: we need a role model of the world we want to see, right? Um, so if we are if we are being inclusive in our language, if we are if we are kind of norm-busting in the way that we live our lives, that will naturally create space for other people. I like to think it's it's simple words, like you know, when we meet a new person and we're starting to get to know each other, a new colleague, not saying things like, Do you have a husband, do you have a wife? Or not assuming the gender of who someone might be romantically interested in. Right. In the same way, if someone goes, Oh, I'm going on a date tonight, they're like, Oh, cool, tell me about that, not like what's his name or what's her name. Or what's you know, just being really inclusive in our language yeah. and really challenging our assumptions around things like attraction and sexuality. Something else that, and again, I need to challenge myself on this all the time, yeah. is around my friend's children not enforcing gender stuff. Like, so often, if I meet a friend's little girl, I'll say, Wow, that's such a pretty dress you're wearing. Whereas to the little boy, I might say, And how's school? Norm challenging behavior is what I would like. Encourage people to go on that journey around, because often when we're thinking about bullying or we're thinking about transphobia and homophobia, it comes from a place of people really wanting to enforce a norm. Like if someone teasing someone, like say like a little boy at preschool who's like decided to paint his nails pink because his big sister was doing it and he wanted to join in. You know those kids who tease him. Right. They're teasing him because of a norm that they're feeling is being broached and that they need to defend. So when we see ourselves enforcing norms,
0: that's something really good to challenge ourselves on. Because it doesn't serve us. And so, like, what's a non-offensive way to ask someone their pronouns?
1: Oh, totes. The wonderful Amy at Bestie Cafe on Karangahapi Road role-modeled this to me so beautifully. When she saw that I was uh, being a regular at the cafe and had kind of come in a few times, um, she wanted to know my name so that she could greet me or, you know, write down the coffee order. She said, oh, um, my name's Amy. I use she, her pronouns. What's your name and pronouns? And if I didn't want to answer the pronoun question, I would have just said, oh, my name's H. Exactly. And just left it at that. So she didn't expect that of me, but she offered it up herself. So just saying, oh, hi, my name's blah, blah, blah. I use these pronouns.
0: What name and pronouns should I use for you? Yeah, that's epic. Okay, we're going to move on to now dating and relationships and all that juicy stuff. Do you remember the first date or romantic experience you had with your new pronouns because I can imagine that's an incredibly affirming experience
1: that's a really good question for me I feel like that was my gender has always been this ongoing thing for me it wasn't this moment of I was one thing right. and now I'm something else not it's before started, and after yeah and, right. and for some people that's totally is, is totally part of their narrative or is has been a there's been a coming out moment where their private gender is now a public gender for me romantically I think I think that has always been seen, heard, valued. I mean, online dating is a whole other thing. So if we're thinking about, like, dating in my early 20s, that was a, like, you meet someone at a party or a friend of a friend or someone you meet in a sports team, whereas now we're entering a whole new world with, like, apps and and the online world. So I think my early experiences in kind of expressing myself more fully in the world and dating in that way were super positive because they were grounded in real-life relationships. So that kind of filtering happened the people who kind of got into my inner circle to become my friend in the first place. They already
0: got you. Totally. They already saw you. Yeah.
1: Whereas now, kind of in that online world, you're maybe potentially meeting someone and yeah. inviting them into an intimate space where you kind of had not have had that friend filter yet.
0: So does that require, if we're speaking about dating apps, does that require you to have more honest conversations before deciding to engage with someone? Like, if we're speaking to our young Fano in the rainbow community listening to this, what kind of advice would you give for setting healthy boundaries around safety and respect? Totally. I've been thinking heaps about disclosure
1: and the impact and the role that it has in, in both some of the, like, most amazing experiences I've had dating and the, some of the more frustrating and upsetting experiences and then down to the, you know, the statistics we hear of incredible violence towards our rainbow communities by intimate and intimate partner violence. Yeah, IPV. Yeah. So in some ways the dating app vibe, you can disclose a whole bunch of information really up front. And if someone's a dick about it, you can just unmatch and you potentially never have to interact with them ever again. Whereas back in the days at like a bar or something, you're like chatting someone up and then you're like, fuck, this is really sexy. And this is kind of hot. And like, how do I bring up this conversation about like, my body, my gender, my how I want to be interacted with, like, ah, how do we go from this hot yumminess to a quick check-in about that to back <laughs> to the hot yumminess. Yeah. Whereas sometimes like apps can just be a really great filter because you can pop something on your profile that says blah, 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 or you can bring it up in those kind of yes. first few interactions. If someone's a dick, unmatch, gone. So how I get around that, or not get around that, but kind of what disclosure looks like for me is I list my pronouns in my profile. If we're having a bit of hot combo, hot chat, I kind of like slip it in there in some cute kind of way um, so that I know early on if I'm kind of investing a bit of time and like chatting with someone or maybe we've gone on a few dates that they've got that info from the start. Yeah. And what they choose to do with that information is their business. It's not my business to try and convert someone to accepting me because I'm just going to be me. But if I put that info out, there and someone chooses to be a dick about it, I can just unmatch.
0: Yeah, so there is actually something quite freeing about that, right? It's totally
1: a safety filter.
0: That's amazing. So specifically in Aotearoa, what has your experience of love and dating dating been like as a non-binary person?
1: Delicious and luscious.
0: Has it really... (laughs) Oh, my God, that makes my heart so happy. <laughs> there's this kind of, I think there's this
1: perception,
0: and I know we Delicious and luscious. Delicious and
1: luscious, Though so all previous lovers out there, shout
0: out. <laughs> you just got described by H as delicious and luscious. I think, you know,
1: it, there might be this kind of false narrative that, oh, it must be so hard to date, or that's extra complicated, or, you know, like, dating and love and intimacy is tricky and messy and weird and for the for everyone like finding compatibility is a bloody needle in a haystack at the best of times so I hope my other trans and non-binary pals would agree with this something that cis and straight people don't have to do or, or maybe they do do it but for us we've gone on this incredibly deep journey of like really asking ourselves some really like epic questions around who am I? How do I live in my skin? Like, what does what is my relationship with self like? And I think that makes us bloody hot lovers. Yeah, And wow. really fucking awesome people to date because we've done all this stuff. You've and done we're the con- mahi, right? Yeah, and we're connected to ourselves in a way that isn't a different spiritual plane than cis people. I feel like when I'm dating cis people, like, I'm guiding them through that journey themselves you're
0: like a therapist
1: <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> gender therapy with a bit of lush on the side
0: with a bit of delicious and luscious and then lastly in your body in your identity right now why does it feel like a good place to be
1: the human experience is one our identities and our being and our way in the world are informed by so many things firstly our whakapapa where we come from how we've grown you know that seed growing in the world and everything everything that has gone on around us is that environment that has created and contributed to who we are the storms we've weathered the lush times we've had those all impact who we are and how we how we be in the world and i feel being in myself and expressing that to the world is one of the most extraordinary journeys I've ever been on. And I wish that for everyone. Like I wish, I wish that everyone could be in their skin in an incredibly radical way.
0: namahī namahī